You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. My name is Curtis Arnold, and I serve as one of the elders, and also I serve as a greeter in the morning, so you see my smiling face then. (laughs) Hey, our passage this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And in the uh, chairback Bibles in front of you, uh, it's on page 593. Now, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was, ha- was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Nahum the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove to drive him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill which was, in which the town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who, who desires to communicate truth to to your children. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts today. Help us to learn more of Jesus. We give these things to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine with me, you're preparing to host a party. No, not one of those parties like I host where I, at the very last minute, invite some people over and I'll warm up hot dogs, but like a real party. <laughs> like, uh, like you've got a guest list and you've rented the nicest place in Johnson County. You've got a chef, a menu, RSVPs, valet parking. I mean the works. You're hosting this special party, and you get to invite all these people from where you grew up, 
But it's not just like an old high school reunion that you're inviting. It's also friends that you've made since then. And it's just this big celebration that you're getting ready to have. Imagine with me, you're going to have this like once-in-a-lifetime party. You're going to spare no expense. And as you go about this work to invite all these people, one of the friends that's close to you stumbles on your invite list. Pretend it's at the bottom of some email chain. You forwarded to them. You forgot the thing was attached there. But they opened it. They looked at it. And and they had the nerve to say to you, I don't like your party. I don't like this big party you're having. Because I can't believe who you invited. (laughs) (laughs) You invited Denver Bronco fans. You must have something wrong with your brains. So I, I don't... I don't believe I have ever watched one episode of the Real Housewives franchise. If there was a Real Housewives of Johnson County, I imagine this could be the kind of plot that that they would follow where there's going to be this big party and everybody's going to be there. But then I found out that Denver fans are showing up, so I don't want to show up anymore. And I'm actually mad at the person hosting it because they should know. Ugh. <laughs> kind of nerve would your friend have to have to tell you who you get to invite to your party? This morning in the text, we find a situation quite similar to this scenario we've just imagined. Luke's recorded for us in chapter 4 how Jesus is, is returning to his hometown and he is, as it were, giving an invitation. And he wants his hometown people to be there. But as they discover who all is on the guest list, they get really mad at him. From our text, we're going to see, at first, Jesus' invitation is appreciated, and then it is hated. Two ideas in our text. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Luke 4, 16 to 30? I want to walk us through the two parts to the Selected passage this morning. Here's the first big idea that we're going to see from the scripture. Is that we love the idea of Jesus inviting people like us. That's what we're going to see. Is we love the idea of Jesus inviting people like us. Open up there, look at verse 16 and we see Jesus headed to his hometown. This is really exciting. He's he's finally going back home after, as readers, we learned who Jesus was. You might remember last week, we learned Jesus is the real deal. He's he's really who he says he is. Jesus has the right references. He has the right pedigree. Jesus has the right track record. He has the right street credit. And now Jesus is going back home 
to where he grew up, the local synagogue he might have walked by as a kid. Everybody knows Jesus back there at Nazareth. And this big-time preacher is going back to his local hometown to do his thing. As was customary in the text, Jesus stood to read from the scriptures. Not sure if everybody else stood, but I think standing in respect for God's words is a great idea. Then after reading, it says that Jesus sat down to teach. That was their custom. Maybe we should test drive that here sometime. But notice at the end of verse 20. Jesus, having read from Isaiah 61, and that is the predominant text that got read here. We don't know exactly if that was just up that week. They had, they had done Isaiah 60 the week before, and so the, the week Jesus came, they did 61. Or maybe Jesus just came in and said, hit me with that Isaiah 61, man. Either way, Isaiah 61 got read. And then look at the tension Luke adds, verse 20, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. What's going to happen? What's Jesus going to say? This is the first sermon we have of Jesus in this book. Luke's audience, Theophilus, thinking, okay, here he goes. Here's the man. What's his first sermon going to be? What's his sermon in a sentence? Where's he going in application? And Jesus says, 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine all right, in case you're not tracking. Imagine we, imagine we read any other Old Testament passage, and then I stand up and I say, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> I mean, you all should like throw stuff at me and then walk out. <laughs> but he says it. He, he says it, and he should say it, because he's telling the hometown worshipers who he really is. In seventh grade terminology... Jesus stands up and he says, it's on like Donkey Kong. In more modern language, Jesus saying, I really am the one with the Holy Spirit. And that Isaiah 61 thing that got written 700 years ago, I'm the one bringing the good news. I'm here, front and center. I'm home, and I want all y'all to know first. I'm coming to proclaim good news. Man, the Spirit's on me, and I'm telling you who are poor and captive and oppressed. I'm here. It's on. How awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. Here's Jesus sharing good news, the best news, an invitation, an invitation to his hometown I'm, there's a party coming in eternity. I want you to be there. This, this good news is, is so powerful. I love the way one commentator made this point. Edwards writes, 
Here in Luke, the first time Jesus stands up, the first word of the gospel is not a moral command or an obligation. It's not about working harder and to do more, but Jesus is on the stage proclaiming what God in grace has already done for the world. Jesus stands up and is proclaiming good news. What is the hometown response? Look in the text. It's as predictable as a Patrick Mahomes touchdown pass at the end of the game. They go wild. They love it. 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Can almost imagine this. Poking elbows like, man, we saw him grow up. Man, look at Joseph's son doing his thing. What we see then is they're all marveling at Jesus' teaching. That's what Luke is showing us. And, and the reason they're marveling at Jesus' teaching is because they loved this news he was bringing. The, the hometown crowd loved the idea that Jesus was here bringing them this Good news, for of course, they all imagined themselves to be those who needed to have liberty proclaimed. They saw themselves as poor, captive, blind, and oppressed, very likely under Roman occupation. And they're thinking, finally, thank you. We are the people who are going to be rescued. God has heard us. He's here. Let's go. They thought of themselves as the ones to be redeemed. But as it turns out, the crowd made a crucial mistake about Jesus' identity. And it's there in verse 22. Did you see it? Crucial mistake. It's okay if you missed it. I did it first as well. But it's that last phrase. Is not this Joseph's son? See, see, what we've got to remember is, is from the beginning, Luke has been telling us he is not Joseph's son. I mean, you had Gabriel going to Mary. We saw it firsthand. We did this before Christmas. And, and, and Gabriel said to Mary, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then you fast forward, and you've got Jesus at 12 years old in the temple and when mom and dad lost him and they finally found him, Jesus goes, did you not know I would be in my father's house? <laughs> you fast forward even more when he gets baptized, 322, what does the father say in front of everybody who will listen? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness and what does Satan say to him? Twice, if you are the son of God. What, what Luke has done so far in our scripture this book he's writing to Theophilus is to clarify, this is not Joseph's son. Hometown crowd, you wrong. He's not who you think he is. Even Satan knows who Jesus is. So, when that hometown crowd kind of bumps elbows and goes, ah, oh, isn't this Joseph's son? We ought to respond like the original reader and think, oh no, you're way off. You don't know who Jesus is. What it shows us then 
What Luke's showing us is, oh, the hometown crowd loves Jesus when, when they get to decide who he is. But what we're going to see here in a minute is, they don't love Jesus when Jesus tells them who he is. Allow me to pause here to connect the crucial dot for us today because this very mistake is happening all over our world. We, church, we love thinking about Jesus on our terms. We love the idea, idea of co-opting Jesus into the framework we're already holding. Our, our idea is that, that Jesus looks at our, the, our worldview and he just baptizes it and everybody who disagrees with us, well, I suppose you guys don't love Jesus. We make the same mistake of the hometown if we try to tell Jesus who he is. We are not to project onto him who we want him to be. We are to ask him through his word, who are you? One popular way this happens in our culture is our culture loves talking about how loving Jesus is. You notice this? Oh, Jesus, man, he's so loving, man. He just loves everybody. He loves, he loves, he loves, he loves. He lo and those are the most popular songs, and those are the most popular ideas. And, and, and if you started to get some sort of platform, and you just told everybody, your shtick was, just tell them how much Jesus loves them, you will get a following. But then if you were to follow that up with, and he is holy, People go, now time out just a minute here. <laughs> Would you go back to that first point again about how he's loving? Because I'm, I'm not too comfortable with him being holy. Or if you said, man, Jesus is loving and he is going to come and judge you. Culture goes, well, I don't like that part. You get canceled if you start trying to reflect who Jesus is fully in our culture. Okay, I, I trust you get this. We love talking about his love. We don't want to talk about holiness or obedience. But Jesus really does get up in Matthew 5, 48 and say, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Like that, he says that. But our culture doesn't want to hear that. Some of us don't want to hear that. How ironic it is that those who actually are Push, importing onto Jesus, projecting onto Jesus who they want him to be. They're actually the ones telling us that we're too judgmental and we're not true followers of Christ. When in fact, one day it will be revealed, anybody who believes the Jesus of the Bible actually knows the real Jesus. It's backwards. It's backwards to think those of us who want to reflect Fully who Jesus is as revealed in his word are the ones who are being told in our culture, you're not going to be invited to heaven someday. Now, now maybe you're here thinking, okay, whew, I'm, glad, I'm glad I haven't made that mistake of trying to only emphasize Jesus' love but ignore his holiness. But there are other ways we make this same mistake, and I know I make it too. A few other common examples might include those who wrongly think Jesus has come here to make you comfortable. Hey man, I'm just going to wake up, I'm going to do my devotions tomorrow, and I hope Jesus comes through for me on this comfort thing, because that's really what I need him for. 
for anyone here who thinks that Jesus can be leveraged for your approval issues. Another wrong way we, 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 we consider Jesus is thinking, he's here to improve my self-esteem. For anyone thinking, Jesus came on the scene because he wants to give you control, some picture-perfect life that you've invented. You've got Jesus wrong. If that's what you think his main mission is, and you are making the same mistake, you're looking at Jesus and saying, oh, you're the son of Joseph. Jesus didn't come merely to affirm your comforts and ensure you never have to change. In fact, as I've, I've heard others say it, say it if, if the Jesus you follow, if the Jesus you read about, if he never steps on your toes and he never calls you to change, if you never have a moment where you go, ah, ouch, I don't know if you're worshiping the true Jesus. Ain't none of us who wake up and have this whole thing figured out. And that's why in some of the counseling appointments, somebody goes, man, I was reading this text, and, and, and I don't know what to do with it because it's so hard for me. It's like, join the club. That's Christianity. He's pushing on us in all sorts of ways. We've, we just, we've got to get this. Jesus is not the son of Joseph and all those implications. It, question for application here. Are you believing in the true Jesus? Friend, are you believing in the true Jesus? When you come to the scripture, are you projecting onto him who you want him to be? Or are you reading the scripture with this golden rule of author's intent to allow the scripture to tell us who he is? We are not to mold Jesus into what we desire. He is to mold us. He is the potter, we are the clay. Don't get that reversed. If you're in a Bible study, you say, well, the way I like to think about Jesus is, I confess, I think, flush. <laughs> I don't care what you think about Jesus. I want to know what the Bible says about Jesus. And this is serious. And, and, and if in this moment it feels sharp, it should. Because this is crucial, church. Either Jesus is the son of Joseph, or he's the son of God. He's, he's one or the other. Which do you believe in? If, if you're here and you're thinking, oh dear, what, am I making this mistake? And how would I know? I would encourage you, just read God's word. Read the book of Luke. Gr grab one of those scripture journals and just... Read through it, and if, and, and if you're like, well, I kind of have been tracking okay with Luke, well, read a different gospel. Let's let the scripture inform who Jesus is. Let's find confidence in the true Jesus. Because the true Jesus, he, he does love you, and he is inviting you. But he's inviting not just you and people like you. He's also inviting people that you and I tend to hate. Which brings us to our second point. I draw this from verses 23 to 30. Here's the way I've put the header. We hate the idea of Jesus inviting those we don't like. 
We hate the idea, if we're honest, of Jesus inviting those we don't like. After what seemed like this warm welcome, Jesus pulls no punches in verse 23. And he offends and insults his hometown by by sharing a proverb and giving a couple examples. That's what happens here in these verses. For those unsure of what's actually occurring in verses 23 to 30, Jesus is saying something like, What up, Nazareth? I know y'all are just are here not just because you want to hear me preach. You want to see me do something really miraculous. I know that's what you want. But as it turns out, Nazareth, Jesus is saying, it's not that I do a sign and then if you think it's legitimate enough, you get to believe in me. That's just not how the sequence works. Hometown, you believe in me or you don't. It's not about whether I prove it to you. By the way, hometown, I'm not surprised you're not believing in me because prophets are never welcome in their hometown. Understand how significant this moment is in the place Jesus grew up. It, it'd, be like, it'd be like Mahomes winning a Super Bowl again, getting the MVP again, and then standing on that platform and saying, hey, hometown Chiefs fans, y'all are fake. You don't really believe in me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to your arch enemy and play for an opposing team. That's how much I hate you. It would be deeply offensive as Jesus is confronting the hearts of his town. And he uses two examples, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah from 1 Kings 17, where Elijah goes outside of Israel to do a sign... Elisha from 2 Kings 5, where Elisha goes outside of Israel to do a miracle. What both have in common is that there is a Jewish prophet who is rejected by his home country and then goes to a Gentile to offer a miraculous sign. Jesus is saying, by the way, Nazareth, this is the way it always works. Y'all always reject us, and then we have to go to people outside of you. Verse 28, Nazareth gets the message loud and clear. They're insulted, they know what Jesus is saying, and they are filled with fury. You see this in verse 29? They form a mob, and they're trying to kill Jesus by throwing him off a cliff. I mean, it's like you've got smoke coming out their ears, and they're thinking, all right, Son, you're going to die for what you just said to us. Silly people. You don't kill the son of God. He'll decide when he's going to die. Thank you very much. Which is why this fascinating verse, there in verse 30, passing through their midst, he went away. I don't know if we get an instant replay up in heaven, but I'd like to go to that place. (laughs) So, like, what happened? Is it like Jesus going, freeze? (laughs) He's like, see ya. I'm on. What the attempted lynch mob, so to speak, reveals is the heart of Jesus' hometown. Once they realized 
who all Jesus was inviting to this eternal party, once they realized Isaiah 61 wasn't just for them, they rejected Jesus. They had the nerve to tell Jesus who they thought he should invite. The good news Jesus shared was not the good news they wanted. Here then is the connection for us today. Church, do you want the good news that Jesus really is offering? Or are we trying to tell Jesus who he can invite to his party? Let me say it like this. Are we okay with Jesus inviting anyone he wants? Are we okay with Jesus deciding his guest list? Or are we like the real housewives of Johnson County with the nerve of looking at Jesus saying, oh, don't you dare bring them into this deal? See, church, this section in Luke is showing us Jesus' home town people, they are the very ones who should know Jesus is bringing good news for all the world. They should have gotten that, and they didn't, and it made them mad when Jesus explained it to them, which means for us today, we must get Jesus' gospel is not just for you and me and a few of our friends. It's not just for people who look like us or talk like us or like the same things like us. It's for all the world. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, this, this Jesus thing is so much bigger than anything we understand. And, and I think it actually proves the, the veracity of Christianity, the, the validity of, of the Christian worldview in relationship to the whole world. Every other world religion has a pocket of people that it predominantly appeals to, not Christianity. This thing is global. There's not one ethnicity that can say, we're the Christians and then everybody else is a far second in the same way that Islam or Hinduism is. It's because Christianity is for the whole world. And, and, and the Christian view can be contextualized into any culture. Because Jesus came for every kind of person and he came for your enemies too. Yes, he came for you, but he came for your enemies. Do you get that? Does this insult you? Because if, if you're sitting there going, oh yeah, pastor, no biggie. Jesus came for people I hate and I love that. I'm not sure you're getting how offensive it is. Jesus invited his hometown Nazareth friends. He also invited a widow from Zarephath and a, and a leper from Syria. For us today, Jesus' invitation isn't just for a bunch of insiders. It's not just for those of us who grew up and are familiar with some Bible stories and went to a church like Mill Creek and sing songs like Mill Creek does and listen to sermons and dress like us. In fact, for some of us who feel like you are an insider to this Jesus thing, this story should actually be a little bit of a wake-up call, a warning. I, I love this quote from... The same commentator, Edwards, he writes, the unsettling truth of this story is that the greatest danger to the way of God in this world is posed by those who are closest to it. 
Jesus is rejected not in Sodom and Gomorrah, but in Nazareth. Jesus is betrayed not by the devil, but by one of the 12 whom he chose. Jesus is crucified not in pagan Rome, but in the heart of Israel at Jerusalem. The rejection of Jesus, it repeats the rejection of God in the history of Israel, whose ultimate adversary was not Baal worship or foreign nations, but my own people, who are bent on turning from me, declares the Lord, Hosea 11. Dear friends, let us avoid the grave danger for those insiders in this text. We must realize Jesus is inviting all to believe his good news even our enemies. Application. If you're a Christian here, we need to repent of any elitism or pride we're holding. For any of us here who think that we're better than others, for, for any of us here who are convinced God wants to save us, but he doesn't want to save our enemies, we must repent. For any of us who have ethnic or racial pride, who think and hold this view of a superiority based on our culture or skin color, repent. In our text, those in Nazareth hated those in Capernaum just because they were from Capernaum. Israelites didn't like people who lived in Zarephath. Israelites didn't like those from Syria. You guys are outsiders. You're Gentiles. Other places of the New Testament, Israelites didn't like Samaritans. They're half-breeds. Jesus is coming with a wrecking ball and destroying ethnic superiority. Don't you see the Spirit of the Lord was on Jesus to invite people from Nazareth, but also to invite lepers? Repent of any cultural elitism or pride. Racism is sinful. Or perhaps your elitism and pride is not ethnic. Perhaps it's more tribal. Like a sports team or a political party. You love the idea of Jesus and coming inviting people who cheer for the teams you cheer for. You love the idea of Jesus coming and welcoming those who are in the same political party as you. And while Jesus' good news certainly is for you and for those who cheer for the same kinds of teams, you must understand Jesus' invitation is also for those who hate your team and cheer against the political party you cheer for. See here, we've got this long-standing running joke. You cheer for the Chiefs, I cheer for the Broncos. But we both agree that the Raiders are hated by God. <laughs> well, we all agree on that. Which makes some of you Raiders fans say, oh my God, God even. Repent of your sins, Raiders fans. And <laughs> so we joke about that, but truly, we don't really think Raiders fans are outside the preview of God's grace. Nobody actually thinks that. If you think that, I have a real objection to you and we have to have a real talk because it's all in good fun. But it's a bit, because sports teams, I trust, really are 
not at the red alert level for most of us, the way politics or more recently pandemics or vaccinations kind of makes us see red. Friend, if you think you're better than those who vote different than you, you've got to repent of that. If you think you're better than those who have a different view about the pandemic or a different view on vaccinations and you feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is inviting people like me who hold my view to eternity, but he's not, he's not inviting them. You've got to repent of that. This is why Jesus is so scandalous. He breaks down all these categories we create. He's welcoming any who would repent of their sin and trust in him. For any way, then, that we've spoken of or any way the Spirit's convicting you in which you think to yourself, yep, I'm way up here. And these other people, they're way down here. And, and, and Jesus loves me and people like me, and he doesn't like these people down here. You've got to repent. Repent, this Christian word of saying you're sorry, agreeing with God, and doing a 180-degree turn from your sin, and giving up that, that elitism, that pride. So look, church, this, if, if this text would actually impact us and change us, it would create a most beautiful community. Like, if we would really do this, if we would admit, man, I've been, I've been acting like that and I don't want to. Imagine what it would be like for a person who stumbles in here on a Sunday for their first time as, as they get to meet us. And, and, and if we really had repented of our pride and humility, they, they would meet us and think to themselves, what a beautiful group of people this is. They don't think they're better than anybody else. They've actually dealt with their original sin. They've dealt with their sin of, by nature and choice. They are honest with themselves before God, and as such, they don't look down on anybody. They're just genuine people who realize that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And they're just like one beggar looking at another saying, come on, there's food. Like, how beautiful would that be? Folks come in, they go, man, I get judged every other place I ever visit, but not at church. And this should be the truth once we realize all of us are just like the Nazareth folks. We all hold some deep-seated pride against others. It's part of our sin nature. Repent of it. All of us are like the Zarephath widow. We can't provide for ourselves. All of us are like the Syrian leper Naaman. We are so sick, we need a miracle of God if we're going to be healed. None of us are here because God's like, you're just so awesome. I thought I had to have you on my team. He needs none of us. And if this, if this truth would happen, think of the community it would create here. Where we just go, man, welcome back. Just a bunch of folks who need Jesus deeply and welcoming anybody else who's hungry to be more like him. And, and imagine how, how this would also impact the way we would share Jesus with, other, with others. The, the impact it might have when we see those who are different than us, those that the world looks down on, those who, who, are, who are treated 
poorly and are outcasts in our culture, those would be the kind of people who we would say, man, welcome. Because this is a place where the image of God is on you and we, we embrace that truth and we welcome you. So sure, church, go share Jesus with people who walk, talk, and act like you. But if Jesus brings somebody into your life who is very different, who maybe even rubs you the wrong way, man, share Jesus with them too. That's how big the gospel is. And even if people reject us, that's okay. They rejected Jesus. His hometown. Imagine that pain. Like his people. And what it did for Jesus is it just launched him into new communities and new places. May it be like that way for us. If somebody you love rejects you because of your sharing the gospel, go share with others. For any here who aren't Christian, you're checking this thing out, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I have, I have felt the judgmentalism and condescension you're describing. For any here who feel like an outsider, wondering, what is Christ's heart toward you? Take heart. No matter what your backstory is, and no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how much sin you've got in your backpack that you rolled in with, Christ has good news for you. He is welcoming you to his eternal party. And friends, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and on that day, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tare. He's going to separate those who have surrendered to him and those who have rejected him. And on that day, we want you to be in this group of those who've repented of their sins and accepted him because he's taking us to a party unlike anything you could ever imagine. I mean, he will make whatever awesome part, whatever is the best party you've ever been to in your life, the most fancy of all time, he's going to make that look like a four-year-old's teacup party. Now, I want to be there. I want you to be there too. I want the whole world to be invited to this party. On that day, we will celebrate Jesus giving good news to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And on this day, if you don't know him, surrender and be part of his family. May this truth drill deep in our hearts. May it shape us. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you that you came to proclaim this good news, and we ask that you would do it. Accomplish what you promised to do. For those of us who love you, change our hearts so that we might rightly, rightly view you and our neighbor. For those who don't know you, I pray today would be the day. May they trust in you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.